you have your Bibles, turn them to Joshua chapter 11. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and someone will get one to you. We have been going through the book of Joshua and Thursday night we went through chapter 10 and we talked about how the Gibeonites, this group that deceived Joshua and the nation of Israel in chapter 9, who tricked them in thinking that they were from a distant land when really they were their neighbors, just so that they wouldn't be conquered by them and ended up being their servants and made this treaty with them. We saw in chapter 9, even though they deceived them, in chapter 10, when they were being attacked by the neighboring uh, cities, that they called out to Joshua. Joshua is Jesus. His name means Jesus. That's the Hebrew name. Uh, Joshua is the same thing. And how this is such a great picture of who Jesus is to us. That as they cried out to Joshua, even though they had deceived him, even though they were basically without reason for help, Joshua still came to their help. And the scripture tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we called out to him, he came and rescued us. And we see that throughout chapter 10 that they go from Gibeon and just continue onward and basically take over the city or the region and and the whole land of Canaan. And we see in verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 23... The last verse in chapter 11, it says, So Joshua took the entire land, just as the Lord had directed Moses, and he gave it as an inheritance to all Israel, according to their tribal divisions. And so we see that they conquered the land. And it says then that the land had rest from war. Now, Go to chapter 13, just the next page over. In verse 1, it says, When Joshua was old and well advanced in years, the Lord said to him, You are very old. Thank you, God. Uh, And there are still very large areas of land to be taken over. At first glance, this looks like a contradiction. I thought we just read that they had conquered the land and there was rest from war and that they had taken this area. Now he's saying that there's a lot of area that still needs to be taken. And so what's happening here? And it's not a contradiction. It's actually completion of what the thought was. You see, Joshua had gone in and had made his way and breaking down the strongholds of all the nations that were there. We read about that in the last chapter. In chapter 10, he talked about a lot of those things. And so he conquered those nations, but the people still scattered and were occupying in different places and different regions. It's not uncommon for those things to happen in war. In World War II, you guys might be aware of this. It's been something that's been uh, talked about and had shows about a lot, where after World War II ended, and even though the United States had victory over the Imperial Army of Japan, there were areas, especially in the South Pacific Islands, where there were people that were hiding in caves some 40 years after the war was over. 
that they'd go in and they'd find this guy, this soldier there, you know, with his clothes like, I'm not going to give up, you know, and dude, the war's been over, you know, here, have chocolate, you know, stop it, you know. He didn't know he still occupied this area. And those areas still had to kind of go and be taken. Well, that was what was happening here. The, the land had been conquered. All the stronghold cities had been broken down. But there still were regions. And what Joshua did, he said, okay, we've done the work. Now we're going to distribute the land to the different tribes, the 12 different tribes that are there. And chapter 11 goes through and talks about a lot of that, the kings that were broken down, and there's going to be a large portion that says this tribe took this area and this tribe took this area. And so they're given this region that they were supposed to occupy, but they went to that region and they didn't take all the land. In other words, they left a large portion of it open. And you might be thinking, well, so what does that have to do with us? Well, you see, it's one thing to recognize the position that you stand in, but it's another thing to take possession of where you stand. You see, we, as followers of Christ, are connected to the Lord. In fact, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says that the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That's where Jesus is at. And it tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So we are already positionally with Christ. Christ is victorious and we are in a, we are able to enjoy that victory as well. Because he was victorious and because we have put our faith in him, we are seated in heavenly places. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the end of the chapter it says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is our position. That is where we find ourselves. But what happens so many times with us is the same thing that happened with the children of Israel and in the promised land. The country is yours, but you still need to occupy it. You still need to battle those small battles and take possession of those things. And the same thing is true with us. We are seated in heavenly places with Jesus if we've put our faith in him. But we still need to possess the promises that God has given to us. We still need to apply ourselves in these areas. We still need to invest in ourselves. The, the victory has been won, but the victory needs to be claimed in our own lives as well. You know, it, it would be as if Phil Jackson called me up and said, Sam, the Lakers need some help. You know, after the All-Star break, we've been struggling. And we're wondering if you could come down and help us out. And, and you know, I think to myself, you know, they make pretty good money. I could use a couple million dollars. Uh, 
sure, Phil. Well, sign this contract. It's irrevocable. You're, you're with the team. And so I signed the tr- contract, and I'm there, and I go to the first practice, and, and Phil observes something that I'm a little bit shorter than some of the other guys, <laughs> not quite as quick, that I, I can't sink a shot to save my life. And so instead of putting me in the game, I end up sitting on the bench. And the Lakers go through their season as they will, and they'll win the playoffs, and they'll win the championship as they should. <laughs> and they'll have the locker room, you know, with the champagne, you know, going and the trophy. And I'll get to be a part of that. I'll be in there in the background. They'll have a parade, you know, down L.A., and I'll be in one of the convertibles waving, you know, with the ticker tape flying, and maybe I'll even get to get up on the stage and do a little dance, you know. You see, I signed the contract. I'm with the team. I get to enjoy all the benefits of the team, but I never played. And so after the season's over, Phil comes up to me and says, Sam, you know, We want to keep you on the team, but we need to make some improvements. First of all, you're going to have to lose about 25 pounds and about 25 years. (laughs) And you're also going to have to gain about a foot in stature. Hold on, I'm having a reality moment right now. You see, because I don't want you to just stay on the bench. I want you to be involved with the game. I want you to contribute. I want you to be a part of this team and experience what it means to play. I remember when we used to collect baseball cards. We used to get these cards, and I'd trade them with my friends. And, you know, you get the good cards. You've got the Johnny Bench and the Roberto Clemente, and then you've got these other guys who you never recognize, and their uniforms are all clean, you know, and you look in the back and their stats, it's like zero, man. This guy doesn't do anything. He just sat on the bench. He had no stats. He wasn't contributing to those things. And a lot of times what happens is there are a lot of people who have said, I want, I want what you have to offer, Jesus, as far as the forgiveness of sins. I, I want that. I want to be on your team. But they never get in the game. They never play. And you might be thinking, hey, that's fine. As long as I get into heaven, that's all I want. That's all I care about. I don't need to, you know, break a sweat. If I can make a million dollars, sit on the bench, I'm good with that. Well, you see, there's a problem. In my analogy, I guess there's the problem. But what happens is when you allow the enemy to live in your territory, then you are plagued by your enemy. And what would happen is the people who were still living in the regions who never got scooted out, who never got conquered, they would come back and plague the nation of Israel. They would seduce their children and following other gods. They would battle them and lose. They afflicted them. And you see, what happens to us when we say, well, I'm going to believe in you, Jesus, but I'm I'm not really going to get in the game. I'm not going to follow after you. We find that there's these battles in these areas of our lives that haven't been surrendered, that haven't 
seen the victory of God in them. And we don't relinquish them to the Lord. I'm a follower of Jesus, but, you know, I still like this, and I still want this around, and I don't want to invest in what it's going to take to get rid of this in my life. And you find that your life is now plagued by these things. And you end up being brought down, and they end up bringing you to your knees and to your demise. And the application for us to recognize is that if we do not invest in ourselves in the things that God has for us, we leave ourselves open for the attacks in those areas of our lives that we have yet to surrender. You know, I I, want to follow you, Lord, but I... I don't want to give up this partying life or this relationship or the pornography or the drugs, the alcohol. I'll have those things still be in the land. And you find that they start chiseling away at your character and who you are and they affect your relationships with your friends or if you're married with your spouse, your children. And you think, well, what harm could it do? I'm not hurting anyone. Well, that's the same thing they thought. It's okay. It's all right. They're over there. We're over here. We'll leave them alone. They'll leave us alone. But they didn't take the land. And one of the things that actually I I think haunts me as a, a father, I think about all the things that I have done wrong or that I could have done better as a father with my children. And I wonder, what am I to blame for? What, what is my responsibility? You know, when, I, when we first had kids, it was an amazing thing. I remember when Karina and I went into the hospital room and they did that ultrasound and they put that jelly stuff on her belly and they started doing that little wand thing. And, and as they were going through the the nurse that was going there, she goes, okay, there's one. I'm like, one? What's, what does that mean? She goes, there's two. I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's two. And then she goes, let's see if there's any more in there. I'm like, no, don't, you know. <laughs> Just, let's, let's stop there, you know. And, and we found out we were having twins. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, my gosh. And, and I, I got to tell you, I felt privileged to be able to have twins. I felt special, like it was me, right? I, <laughs> I have twins, you know. She had to deal with all the hard labor and stuff. But anyway, I, I was just, oh my gosh, the, the idea of having two children at one time, and I just felt privileged that I would have this responsibility. Uh, God laughs at me now. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you're privileged, all right. But as the years went on and the responsibility weighed and my temper was short and I was exhausted and the things that I did that I wish I wouldn't have done, things I said that I wish I wouldn't have said, I look back at those things and I think, oh, gosh, Lord, I I could have done so much better. And Corinne and I often will will see little kids or we'll look at the pictures when the 
the children were little, and we go, oh, remember those days? And, and you almost wish you could go back there, but then you remember how tired you were, and so you stop before you actually do. But you think, oh, there's so many things I would have liked to have done. And you see, the problem is we don't realize in the moment that we're at that this is the moment we have to invest our lives in those children or in those people or in your husband and your wife, in the Lord, in this relationship that you have with Jesus. It's right now that matters. It's right now that you can make the difference for your future. In fact, now is all you have. And if you don't occupy this land now, it will come back and haunt you later. And we find ourselves in this place where, you know, I, I'm comfortable. It's okay. Nothing really wrong. I'm not doing anything terrible. But are you claiming all that God has for you. We added a room addition to our house years ago, six years ago or so. And Corrine went to Mexico with the youth at that time, and I thought, now's a good time. She's gone, I'm going to demolish the kitchen. Besides, she's in Mexico. When she comes back, she'll, you know have seen people with, you know, dirt floors and, and it'll be like, see, it's not, it's better. Uh, so she went to Mexico for the weekend and I gutted the kitchen. We tore down the wall and started our room addition. And that's the way I had to do it. If I didn't, if I didn't commit, I would, I would say, ah, tomorrow, you know, it's okay. We'll just, Paint. We had to add the room. We had the four kids and their friends. We'd have like 10 kids in our house sometimes, and it just wasn't big enough, and we wanted to expand. So she left. I gutted the kitchen, and there was a period of time when you could stand in our kitchen, and you could look up and see the sky because we, we changed the roof too. We took off the roof. And so there was a good period of time where we didn't have a roof, where we had plastic for walls, and it was just kind of, you know, there. And you know what? A lot of our lives, we, we do the demolition. We, we make the one step, but we live in that state of, well, you know, it's okay. We had the TV and the refrigerator was next to the TV and the microwave was on the other side because we didn't have a kitchen, you know, and we had to wash dishes in the bath. I know, that's sick. Um, <laughs> do what you got to do, you know, but yeah, we can live like this. No, we can't. But you, you get used to it. And time went by. And I remember it was on our anniversary when I tore down the plastic that we'd had up for ever. Because we finally got the walls up. You could still see the, the drywall wasn't there, but at least, you know, the walls were up enough where you could, it wasn't the sky anymore. And we tore it down and it was like, okay. Yeah, this is what we wanted. And we saw what the potential was. And so then we put the drywall up. We did the painting. And there's still work that needs to be done. And this is seven years ago. But the point is, you know, it, it would be real easy once the roof is up and once the walls are done to just sit back and say, this is good enough. This is good enough. I, I don't need any more. But the house wasn't complete. 
And our lives are not complete until we invest in the things that God has for us, until we occupy the land that God has for us. And, and I know this for myself, and so I know it true with you, that we get comfortable and we want to own our own lives. We, we want we want our time for ourselves, and there's a fear. If I give God my life, what's he going to ask of me? What is he going to make me do? Well, he's going to make you take everything that he has for you, and it's what's good for you. And he might tell you, you need to get rid of this. It's going to do you harm. Let it go. And you have to make the decision, do I want what God has for me, or am I going to sit back and just be comfortable with yeah, you know, Jesus did the victory. He accomplished it. That's enough. It's not enough. Don't be satisfied until you have all that God has given to you. Don't let your life come up short. I think about all the people in Scripture who made an impact and every one of them stepped into this life that God had for them. Whether it was Deborah, Esther, Samuel, David, Peter, Paul. They all had to make a decision to, to do more. They had to hear the call of God and say, okay, I will answer that. I will do that. I will step into this place, even though it's uncomfortable, even though it's difficult, I will invest my life in it. I will occupy the area that God has for me. And every one of them that did made an impact that was lasting. And you see, what we do many times is, is we look back in our lives and we look and say, what do I have to show for this? What, what have I accomplished? What have I done? And we haven't invested in eternal things. And so it starts to crumble. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, a foolish man builds his house on the sand. The wise man builds it on the rock. And when the storms come and the waves beat up against it, the one who builds his house on the sand, it washes away and great is the ruin. But the one who builds their life on the rock, when the waves come, the winds blow, it stands because it's founded on something that lasts. And what we find ourselves doing so many times is investing on things that are temporary instead of things that are eternal. And that was the whole motivation for the young adults to go on the advance and invest in the lives of these orphans and to invest in this community instead of going up to the mountains to get away. To see that maybe if you tap into something eternal, something that is connected to the heart of God, that it will actually change your life and produce what you really desire. And maybe you and I are just blind to what it is we really want because we are constantly bombarded with the things that we're told we need, and they're not the things that we need. They end up being the things that we want, but they're not what we need. And we go after them, we go after them, we go after them, and we're not satisfied, and we're hungry still. 
And maybe if we just step into the things that God has for us, it'll connect us to something eternal, and we'll find out that this is what I am supposed to do. This is the land I am supposed to occupy. This is the life that I have been created to live. A life that is not for myself, but is for God. Jesus said, if you seek to find your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. But it's so hard to let go. It is so hard to take that step and say, okay, God, I believe you. I am going to trust you. We like the faith, but we don't like to put it to practice. We, we want the position, but we don't want to take the possession. We, we like the victory that was won, but we don't want to claim the victory that we need to continue to fight for. And it doesn't come without sacrifice. That's the theme of the scripture. Forgiveness comes by the sacrifice. The miracles of God come by sacrifice. By giving of ourselves, then God gives to us. If you seek me, then you will find me. If you knock, then it will be open. You see, we have to do something before he does something. If you trust in the Lord with all your heart, don't lean into your own understandings. Acknowledge me in all your ways, then I'll direct your paths. If you delight in the Lord, then I will give you the desires of your heart. You see, there is an if before God's response because what he wants is us to be genuine. What he wants is us to actually commit to this. He, he wants us to grow up and he wants us to occupy the life that he has created us for. And the nation of Israel never did. The victory was theirs. The land was theirs for their taking, but the majority of it never was occupied. They left it. And the tragedy is most of that area in our lives that we should occupy never gets occupied. It's left. And the things that God could do in our lives and through us are forfeited because we're lazy. We don't want to give up something because we don't want to make the effort. And we look back and we think, I should have done more. I could have done more. I wish I would have invested in this more fully. And the tragedy that we see in the book of Joshua is a picture of a tragedy that we see in many of our lives. That Jesus has already won the victory. That he has given us the ability. It says in 1 John 4, 4, You dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. 
The victory belongs to you. Now it's up to you. It's up to me to possess it, to step into it, to invest our lives in the things that are eternal. It will affect your relationships. It will affect your careers. It will affect the direction of your life. And it will allow you to occupy the things that God has for you. You have to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness if you want those things to be added to you. You have to trust. You have to step into this land. You have to occupy it. You have to fight those battles so that you can enjoy the blessings. It doesn't come any other way. It just doesn't come any other way. And if you're satisfied just coming to church, saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, I I hope this scripture will provoke you to look further and see that there is areas that need to be occupied in your life. There is territory that God wants you to take. And just as the Lord used common people like Esther to save the nation, like David, a shepherd boy, to lead a nation, like Peter, a fisherman, to begin the church in so many ways. God wants to use us for things that are bigger than we can imagine but they are ours to possess as we trust in him. Let's pray. Father, you've written these things for our learning. You have given us the scriptures so that we can glean from them things that are applicable to our lives. They are written for our benefit, Lord. You have breathed them because you desire to use them within our lives. And this book of Joshua has been tremendous as we've been going through it, God, to see all these areas that are so connected to a victorious life in you. And how you, Jesus, our Joshua, have conquered the land and have given it to us for an inheritance. But now it is up to us to take that inheritance and to apply it in our lives. And Lord, I I pray for those who are here who are at that crossroads, God, and they know that you are calling them to a deeper commitment to you, to a deeper relationship with you, a relationship that is invasive into their lives that will change how they live. And Father, it's a bit frightening. It's, It's a bit uncomfortable because we're used to living a certain way. We're we're comfortable where we're at. But at the same time, God, there is the recognition and the knowledge that This is true. This is what I need to do. And so I pray that by your spirit, God, you would give us all that little nudge. Help us to take that next step. 
to trust you, to lean on you, and allow you, God, to prove yourself, to do a work that is lasting within us. Prove to us that it is more blessed to give than to receive. That if we do lose our life for your sake, we will find a life that is abundant, that is beyond what we would ask or think life could be. But that life is found only in you, Jesus. And I pray, God, that you would show and reveal to us those areas of our lives that you have for us to step into, to occupy. The enemies that we need to defeat, the Canaanites that need to be battled and need to be won. God, that we would not allow them to to fester in our lives and to gain a foothold in strength. Lord, do an eternal work, we pray. We do ask it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.